Thanks again for being here today. As we close out the snapshots of Jesus, we're taking a very practical look on living out those images and reminders and stories and teachings of Jesus those three years that he was here on the earth. So the question is, what is the point of all these snapshots or all these pictures of Jesus? What is the point? Why would Mark spend January to July and then uh, some of his good friends in August to talk about these pictures of Jesus Christ while he lived on the earth? What is the point of all of that? You're not used to being asked an actual question. It's not being rhetorical. We have a little more time today, so I'm just uh, asking you to shout, shout out. What is the point of all these pictures? So I hear you. Let me translate for those who are unable to hear. So to uh, get different perspectives on Jesus to see the full complement of what he was about. It turns out there's a lot. And when Mark Lanier teaches, you really see some things that most people aren't even teaching about. Agreed? A little bit of a deeper perspective, which is very interesting. Uh, Someone else I heard say to uh, share the gospel, to get to know Jesus a little bit better, to know him better. As a result, you should be better. Now, if you had a lot of pictures from your memories of a vacation, what would you do with those pictures? You would share them on social media. That's what most of us do. Back in the 70s and 80s, what did we do with pictures? We put them in a, in a photo album. Then you'd put them on the, thing, on, the, on the shelf or whatever. And then when some friends came over, a family, and you had a time of nostalgia, you would go and you'd get this big, heavy book and you'd open it up and you would say, oh, that's so-and-so and that's where. And people who are interested were what, and the people who are not interested would be like, turn the page, <laughs> next. But then they would just sit on the shelf until you became nostalgic. They really didn't affect your life as much. So the idea with our snapshots of Jesus, we don't want to just put them in an album and say, that's interesting. Ah, that's nice. I'm I'm glad to know that about Jesus. Man, he was great. Or in the 70s, he was swell. Just did so many great things. Um, We want to take those pictures and instead of putting them in albums, Uh, You should be sharing the pictures on social media. That's a really good idea, maybe with some comments or a scripture. That's a great way to share and to encourage others in Jesus' name. But my encouragement is to take these snapshots and put them up in your bathroom window, stick them on there. Take some of the snapshots, put them in your rearview mirror on your car. Don't cover the window or the mirror. You still need to see what's going on behind you, but maybe down by the clock or maybe by a clock in your house. These are meant to be reminders of how to live your life. And of all the things that I am, um, I'm probably the, the biggest thing is probably being practical, desiring to practically live the Christian life. That's, that's where I always want to go toward. And uh, I'm very theoretical and theological. I love to hear the theory and then discuss it and talk about it. But then taking action, even for me, with a desire to take action on what I've learned and what I know, being seminary trained, uh, experienced in what, about six or seven different churches, uh, including Champion Force twice, to 
enable and take action on that is still very hard. And I'm just talking from my perspective. So if you're just kind of in it to hang out and and smooth around, then it's going to be even more difficult. So my encouragement today is let's take a look at these snapshots of Jesus. We're not going to recount them all, but what should we do? We should take action with them. So I always say that if, if I talk about something, you're very kind to listen to it. But if Mark says it, it must really mean something, right? So I've asked Mark to come in today just to kind of kick off a couple of things that he said in the past regarding taking action on the Word of God as he's been teaching through the snapshots of Jesus. Jesus is taking the praise off of him and off of his mother and off of the genetics that the society and culture would normally see and instead is refocusing the praise. He refocuses the praise. Look at where he focuses it. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Philato is guard or keep. Blessed are the ones who hear the word of God and, and, and use it, keep it. Jesus is saying, we we don't look at a blessing as a genetic thing. Oh, blessed are you and the mother who bore you. He said, no, 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 no. This isn't about genes. This is about something brand new. We're reversing this world. The world may say, oh, blessed are you and the mother who bore you. But I'm telling you, The blessing is for anybody who hears the word of God and keeps it. I I, I look at this simple verse and I just want to keep reading it over and over and over again. Because I want to hear the word of God. And I want to keep it. All three of those are necessary. This, this, is, this is the word of God. This isn't a collection of cool stories. Only. This isn't only a collection of wise ideas. This is God revealing himself to us through the ages in ways that by his spirit have been kept and recorded for us so that we can know him better. So we have direction for our life. So we have an an understanding of our faith. So that we better understand who he is and what he's about. So we have things to struggle with and to try to understand. So we have an area to draw our focus as we need wisdom for this world. These are the words of God. And, and our problem is, is you can get these anywhere. You can get this free on the internet. We don't understand that just to put this into English costs people their lives. We don't understand that, that for over a thousand years, most people had no access to a Bible, never even saw one, much less got to read it. We have the words of God. It's just so ordinary to us 
that we forget and we need to hear it and we need to keep it. Okay, I, I, I told you I could spend the whole day on that verse, but let's keep moving. If they do these things when the wood is green, what's going to happen when it's dry? Jesus never, ever pretends that this world is the answer. He works to restore this world, but he recognizes this world bites. It's not even remotely close to what it should be. But Jesus recognizes that the rest of us are still living in a war zone. And while we're in charge under his guidance and power of living our lives to make this world a better place, don't ever be under the pretense that this world is the way God wants it to be. Because it's not. And if you haven't found times of abject misery and destruction where you say, God, let the world end for me because it seems over. Then just wait. But Jesus is going before us with the glory that he promises to give to us because he's reversing the world. So first of all, if you thought you were coming today and you weren't going to hear from Mark, you were wrong. (laughs) There were 20 people that were walking down the hall, heard Mark's voice and rushed in. They're like, oh, I thought he wasn't going to be here today. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Have a seat. Please stand guard at the door. But I've been going back, listening to these snapshots of Jesus, knowing that I'm going to be closing out the series today. And man, what a great reminder. And, you know, this is one of the things that Mark said at the end, you know, the culmination of class. And then we all take off and leave. I put it at the beginning so that we can really focus in on what we're talking about here. And I think all of you would agree with me. Yes, we need to hear the word of God and we we need to do it. We need to heed it. We need to be a part of it. James, the brother of Jesus says, faith without works is dead. We need to be acting on what we hear as we trust by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to give us everything that we need here Mark said it great. Couldn't say it any better. Great reminder, especially for this class. So how is it that God is reversing? How has God reversed this world from creation's beginning? Well, I want to take you through this quick history lesson, which I kind of like to do when I teach. Um, Here we have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When God is beginning to create a nation out of, out of nothing, he was taking someone from another nation, setting him apart, which is the word holy, setting him apart for a particular purpose in order to create the Israel nation, the nation of Israel, to demonstrate to the world how one would respond to God. Started with the patriarchs and then to Moses, a type of Jesus who saved or redeemed the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into a land that was promised to them. That's the Christian life. We are redeemed and saved out of slavery to sin into a promised world of the kingdom of God. So Moses is a type of Jesus showing us the path that we're supposed to be taking and how to relate to a loving, creating, holy God. He's holding there the tablets. I wanted a a picture that demonstrated the law that was given to Moses 
It was through Moses that we got God's law in order to live in a civilized society, again, that he calls the kingdom of God. The law, the Torah, is the beginning of that. Now, the Torah reminds us that we're not able to do life the way we should and that we fall short and we need someone to empower us and save us from that sin and to encourage us to go further. Folks, we are in the encouraging to go further. That's those of you who are saved. If you're not saved, the law just reminds you that you can't do it on your own, that you need a savior and you can humbly request that God forgive you of your sins and you can walk out of darkness into the marvelous light. But you should know, if you walk into the marvelous light, you have expectations, not from me, not from Carolyn. See, I can even call on Carolyn like Mark does. Not from anyone who can judge or condemn, but from God himself, who said, if you're going to come onto my team and live in this kingdom, you have responsibility. And if you got into the kingdom and you didn't know about that, you might need a mulligan. You might need a do-over because there is responsibility. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, Then what happens after Moses, we had the judges. God established the judges to help bring them along a little bit further to take the proper action because the people were doing what? What was right in their own eyes. That's what the book of Judges says. So God raised up judges. He did not want a king, but he wanted a representative on earth in order to help people along to make good decisions and go the correct direction and then be corrected when they go the wrong direction. There were several judges. Uh, It all didn't work out great. Asks Samson. The priests, which really I stuck them here in the middle. The priests were going on even uh, the time of Moses and before the tribe of Levi. Uh, the Levites were priests. Again, people who were connected to God and giving God's word, direction, course of action, emphasis on action to the people. So the priest predated and postdate this. They continue on. Uh, here we have the kings never intended in the kingdom of God, but because man said we would like a king like the other nations. Do you hear the anathemism of this? That that is so wrong. God wanted a holy nation set apart, different from the other nations to say, this is how to behave. But they asked for a king. And what did God do? He gave them a king and then a a line of kings after that, after Saul, uh, his uh, heirs did not continue on, but he started with David and those heirs continued on all the way to Jesus, the true King. So it's interesting and great how he worked it all out. But the point is sometimes even when God's people ask for something that God does not want us to have, he will allow it. And we suffer the consequences and Israel did suffer the consequences, but God's will still prevailed through it all. And it will, and it continues today. The question is, are you in or are you out? Are you just watching everyone else's action or are you sold out, ready to move on to action? Kings is a great story in the kingdom of God about how to do that. After that, you have the prophets, really concurrently with the kings. You have the prophets, men that said, that heard from God, Thus says the Lord, God told them, and I need you to ferry this information along to the people, kind of like the judges. Were the prophets held in high regard and listened to and people repented because of what they heard? Rarely. 
Some of you are saying maybe a few. And who did God call those few? The remnant. There's always the, the remains of a group, a small minority who continue on and desire the things of God. But a lot of people fall away. Jesus encountered this in his teachings. They would flock along and they would, they would follow him. And then he would say, okay, now here's your responsibility. And they said, oh, that's for somebody else. So yeah, I, pre, I pre-talked about Jesus. There he is. Jesus is the next greater than a prophet, the son of God who exemplified how to live life in the kingdom of God, taught how to live life in the kingdom of God. These are the snapshots specifically that Mark has been going through. And Mark and I were talking about it in December, November, about what January's new series should be. And and, and I suggested, hey, let's hit the gospels. Let's hit Jesus. You know, he talks a lot about Paul because they're they're lawyer buddies. They, They get along well, you know. And we always reference Jesus, but even in a lot of churches nowadays, we don't really focus in on Jesus a whole lot. Sometimes we do Paul a little bit more because he's working out the hard stuff to establish the church and move it along, which is very helpful and important to us. But let's go, if you excuse the term, to the horse's mouth. Let's get as close to the one who perfectly exemplified, lived it out, modeled it, and then taught it incessantly over and over says that he taught about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is like this, and a good citizen acts like this. These are the snapshots that we desperately need as people of God. Again, if you're not a person of God, then you can look on from the outside and go, this is very interesting. This is probably very helpful for these people who are people of God. If you are the people of God, you have a responsibility to be moving forward until you are more and more sold out. What could be next? The disciples. Jesus' small group, his life group, his Sunday school class, he got together with them and taught them because his intention, and I, including Paul in this group because he called himself an apostle, untimely born, he was a part of this group, that he would, they would be establishing the church and building it out in practical ways. And here we are as a result of that today. And yet, and yet, we still have so many of the same problems that the early church had. Why can't we move past a lot of these things? We are still stuck. And a lot of it is that we take our snapshots of Jesus and we put them in our photo album or we share them on social media and you say, hey, look at me, look what we did. And then wait till next week, I'll show you the new thing or the next thing. We close it and we set it on the shelf And we're just not that focused. If every once in a while someone says, hey, can I see some pictures? Oh, yes, let me share. But why aren't we initiating that share? This is what Jesus is doing. And then Jesus is ascended and he sends what to us? Or who, I should say? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, all this time the Bible is being written. Eventually it's being printed in a way that, like Mark just said, we all have a copy and most of us in this room take it for granted. And yet we do not revere it in the way that we should, do we? A reminder of Jesus on the cross, because with the power of the Holy Spirit for us today, this montage is for us. The power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, his sword, the gospel and example of Jesus Christ, And the guidance of God himself is what we need in order for the next iteration 
of this history to play out, and that is you. God has called you, if you're a Christian, if you're saved by God, truly, you are a part of this montage that is to propel the kingdom of God to the next generation and to the next group, preventing them from falling into the same problems and mistakes and hopefully getting them in a position to be able to teach and to live, live abundant Zoe life inside the kingdom of God. Again, we're talking about this is what the snapshots of Jesus are for us, responsibility for us. You are the part of the continuation of the gospel. If you don't, it will continue. It's just going to be a lot harder and it's going to take a lot more time. And that is very unfortunate. So where's the scripture? God, the father, he gave John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent. And we see that God is a sending God. God sent the law. He sent the prophets. Then eventually he sent Jesus. What did Jesus say in Luke four forty three? Here's a great snapshot. Jesus said, and we should follow along, as he was being pulled to do more miracles in a town in which he had already done a lot of miracles, physical saving of people from physical issues, which we have a lot of need for that, I agree. Jesus, because of his compassion on the people, God give us your compassion, Paul, uh, Jesus, because of his compassion on the people, were doing all the things that he needed to do. Plus, he was restoring the kingdom, reversing the kingdom by doing miracles. But when he was pressed to go back, one of the times he says, I can't. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. That's a beautiful picture of the purpose that Jesus was here. He did a lot of things, but he was sent to share the good news because that's number one, people's entry into the kingdom of God. It is necessary for them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. If we are not sharing it, or if we're only sharing it when someone else prompts us, Jesus was not prompted. He said, I've made a plan. I need to go and share the good news. I don't I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. Well, he probably did. But regardless of what was going to happen, I've got a plan. And whether they accept me or reject me, they still have to hear the message. I was sent for this purpose and I will be true to what God sent me to do. Then Jesus left and God sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8. What a great verse among many about the Spirit of God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Does anyone know what a witness does? Well, in Mark Lanier's class, he's a lawyer. He's talked about witnesses quite a bit, even deposing the witnesses and doing uh, videos to have them prepared legally to be able to share in a court of trial where someone's life is on the line or someone's livelihood is on the line. Witnesses are absolutely necessary. And if they did not have witnesses, like all the movies on about the, the uh, who are they called, the mob, uh, they're always trying to kill the witnesses. Because if the witnesses don't say anything, or intimidate them, if the witnesses don't say anything, what happens to the individuals? Justice is not served. It's not say that justice is always served just because they're in a court of trial, I'm not saying that. But in theory, 
the witnesses must share what they have learned, what they have seen, and what they have experienced. If you have witness, if you are a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving power in your life, and you are not busting your way into courtrooms of life all around you, justice is not being served. But you don't have to do it on your own power. You have a protective agent. It's like, uh, who's it protects witnesses? It's the... uh, not the constables, the, the marshals. Thank you very much. Yes, you have a, a, a contingent of the marshals to put you in the safe house. But, you know, the, the biggest problem in the movies with the mob, they always leave the safe house to go check on someone or do something. And that's when they get in trouble. You're still protected. You've got the power of God enabling you to do what you couldn't do on your own or by yourself. And the fears that you have to keep you from being a witness has already been taken care of except that you just have not taken the step of faith, if this is the case for you, to go and to do it. The ones who have are excited about what God has done and they keep seeing more things that he's done and is doing, so they want to keep going. Uh, We'll talk some more about that, but I want to hit our verse for God's word as we look through this history of how God is bringing about a changed world, turning it upside down or upside right, as David Fleming mentioned last week. Uh, All scripture is breathed out by God. So it is from God. And here's what it's profitable for. Teaching. You're here today. I hope you're being taught. Reproof and correction. If you're in the wrong, I hope you're being corrected. It goes for me too. And for training in righteousness, which righteousness, the, the root of righteousness is right, correct. How to live life correctly in the kingdom of God. God's word. So if you have a copy of God's word on your phone or your Bible, raise it up today. Let me see who's bringing it in, huh? Yes. Now, if you have it, the the picture that I have here is a, a red Bible. Do you see how the guy is actually reading it? There's someone there reading the Bible. It is no good if it just sits with the photo album of the snapshots of Jesus. You have to read it. I never understand it. That's why I come to church and let all you guys explain it to me. Thank you. But if the Holy Spirit is true to what he says, he says he will reveal to you his truth. It may piggyback on what something that Mark talked about or Pastor Jarrett or uh, uh, others that you hear, maybe even on YouTube, but it is important in this process. So again, it is a call to action that we need to be acting on. Now, I have uh, got a a roadmap for us as we finish on. I've already started by informing your worldview for action. That's what I want to be doing today is informing your worldview so that even better you get in on God's plan. Not that I know God's plan perfectly, but I have an idea and I want to share just a few things that I know. We've just done that. The second thing is to give an example and that is in relationships. If, and let me just say this. Where's the camera that's on right? Oh, camera. Who's on? Who's, who's live? Tally lights aren't on anymore, so I can't see the red light. So I just want you to know that God, if you're at home, God is interested in you in relationship and wants as much as you can, and I understand there's all kinds of issues, to be in the place where God's people assemble, especially on the Lord's Day on Sunday, to come together and fellowship with God's people. Now, that having been said, for those of you here in the room, I was not even talking to you. You're here. Thank you for being here unless you just pop in and pop out and do only minimal fellowship while you're here. 
because you're missing out, not on just hanging out with some good people, which I know are the case, but you're missing out on God's plan, and that is relationship. Second thing we'll talk about is entry or growth, entry into the kingdom of God and growth in the kingdom of God. But right now, let's focus on relationship. Uh, It started last week. This is what happened last week. Were y'all here? Do y'all recognize this is what David Fleming did? Do you see what this is? This is three pair of bulls. (laughs) David Fleming, at a Luke 15, he taught on three parables. Remember? You, some of you were here. Now, before you think that what I, what I'm saying that Pastor David just was, uh, had a bunch of bull for us, that's not what I'm saying. But his first parable talked about relationship, the lost coin. But the application of that is that when someone is lost, group up the ones that are found and let them stay safe and go and seek out the one that's lost. Then he said the parable of the lost sheep. You leave the 99, you go and find and bring back the one that has wandered off. Remember the coin didn't wander off, it just got lost. The sheep wandered off and sometimes we wander off, but God and therefore the community of God should desire to redeem the one. And then of course the lost son. A beautiful picture where in this case, the father was not going out every day looking for the son, but waiting. And he had everything he needed in faith to be prepared for the son to come home. And when he did, we see a beautiful picture that Jesus painted of how to receive one who was lost and came back because we don't do a good job receiving people who purposefully and rudely leave, do we? We want vengeance. And God's word says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I want you to use your vessel, Brent, to exact that vengeance on them to show them how bad they acted. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. There, there is correcting and there are consequences, but there's also love and grace. And what a great job David Fleming did on relationships that they are so important. I hope we see relationships, not just with our really close friends and family, but relationships even with strangers. Because here's what Jesus said, or what God says about relationships. In the Ten Commandments, the majority of the, the commandments there are about our relationship with one another. The majority are. In Luke ten twenty seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind when he was asked what's the most important commandment. And he said the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself, which posed the question, then who's my neighbor? And he tells this great story about an outsider who got hurt and the people in the kingdom of God are supposed to help them. And that's the good Samaritan. And then finally, um, my mention here about relationships is when You have wronged somebody. This is amazing that Matthew talks about this. Matthew has a lot about relationships. Thank you for listening to my raspy voice. Here, let me get a drink. I was just thinking, if I drink this water, I'll thirst again. But we're talking about the words of life, that water, living water that God splashes on us. But this is a hard lesson to learn. Matthew 5, 23, 24, it says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar 
So you're at church and you're there, but you remember that your brother, your sister, somebody has something against you. Like they think you've wronged them or maybe you have wronged them or they misunderstood, but in their mind, they have something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first to be reconciled with your brother and then go to church. Interesting, isn't it? God says your interpersonal relationships are so important that you need to make sure they are correct before you even come to church and worship me. Maybe you're worshiping God outside of church, which you should, but God says, even then, leave your gift aside, go and be restored, and then come and worship me because there's something that impedes your relationship with God when your relationship with one another is broken or if it has never been established in the first place vis-a-vis. God wants you to connect with this person X that you don't even know and he keeps bringing that person in your orbit and you just are so introspective that you miss it. They don't even know they have something against you but you've not gone to them that God's willed and desired you to because that's what God is about, relationships. It's extremely important. So he lists this in the Sermon on the Mount, which has a lot of other great things about relationships. But what does Mark Lanier have to say? We uh, studied Matthew 18 a while back and he, he, he did not complete the whole chapter. So we were about to leave uh, Matthew and go on to Luke. And I said, wait, 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 don't you wanna talk about some of these things? And uh, so then he offered it up. Well, he, he explains it. Uh, all of my thoughts and comments are in the blue uh, uh, screens underneath him as he's talking about it. So you can understand where I'm coming from as Mark teaches this. Let's talk about the gospel of Matthew snapshots today. And I was about to finish Matthew when I got this email from someone in class who said, stop. How can you pass up? You didn't deal with these passages, which I'd like to hear your perspective on. And so I thought, okay, I'll open it up. And I did. I told you, if you've got problem passages in Matthew, email them to me or tell them to me. And I'll look at those problem passages this week. And that's what I'm going to do. Now, there's a problem with these problem passages. You know what the problem is? Too many requests, too little time. So we're just going to go through the uh, mails that I got. And I started to do it in a random generator and just randomly pick. And then I thought, no, I'll do it in order based upon how they came to me. And then I thought, no, I like the random better. So I've done the random and I thought about just putting the, the, the questions in a, in a hat and pulling them out here. But then I realized it wouldn't necessarily jive with the PowerPoint. So you're just going to have to trust me. This is pretty random, okay? So here we go. Uh, Let's grab the first one. The first one came uh, uh, Matthew 27, 52. So um, with that, we made it through one. Oh, we're not getting very far. Okay, I'm so sorry. I get carried away. I love to talk about this kind of stuff. Well, I also got this from Monty. Um, Matthew 18, 5. Let's see if we can't get through a couple of these pretty quickly. 
All right, uh, let's go back and let's, let's look at another one real quick. Um, I got an email from Wanda about Matthew 5, 21. And uh, here's, here's part of her email kind of edited. Before you move on from that. Okay, what got this started was peanut butter and jelly. Oh no, that's uh, PB&J is Pastor Brent Johnson. Uh, Pastor Brent sent me, uh, said, I have to deal with these issues before I get past Matthew. And so we've got two and a half minutes. Sorry, Brent. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And we've got the bound stuff and the loose stuff here. Uh, uh, And unlike the Peter example later where it's in the singular here, it's in the plural because he's talking to all of them. Um, Two different issues here. And, And the first one is this. God cares immensely about relationships. God is a God of relationships. There's not a person listening to this. Hear me. There is not a person listening to me who doesn't absolutely need God's forgiveness. I don't care how righteous you think you are. I don't care how good you think you are. There is not a person here who does not need God's forgiveness. And the God who treasures relationships gave of himself in a way we cannot fathom and understand to create the relationship that you and I can have with him. And he does not want us within the church to do any less with other believers, certainly. He's got children and he wants his children to get along. And sometimes that involves children doing things that hurt others. And there needs to be accountability and there needs to be forgiveness and there needs to be an ability to try to seek to value and salvage what God's willing to die to value and salvage. Now that does not mean putting yourself into a position to continually get kicked and abused. If there's an abusive relationship that is abusive to you, you have no responsibility to live in the process of that abusive relationship. But it does mean that you have a responsibility to try to restore what can be restored. And that's within the context of this whole idea. And what does that mean? I'm sorry, Brent, I didn't have enough time to get into detail, but it means God values relationships. And then we are out of time and we have to go. That's okay, Mark. I'll pick it up from here. (laughs) Oh, look, there's this PowerPoint. So we're talking about relationships and we all like the good parts of relationships. But as God's word says, there's also reproving and correcting. This is such practical words from Jesus. They almost apply to any situation specifically here. It's if um, your brother sins against you, the opposite of what we talked about earlier. If someone has treated you wrongly or in a bad way, how to respond to it. It's a simple three steps that um, since we weren't able to finish it back in, uh, I think it was May maybe, 
uh, talk about it just for a second, <clears throat> that you go to that person alone. If, if there is an issue, especially a, a theological, spiritual issue, it could even be things that are non-biblical things, just things in life. You should want to go to someone and correct them in private and not gossip about them and get a bunch of people on your side before you do it. That breaks relationships. God's got a perfect plan for fixing those because of how important relationships are. I hope you understand that. Mark said it. I totally agree. God highly values relationships. And when there's a problem, and there will be, go to the person privately. Even churches who have all kinds of problems, we should go to people privately and discuss it. So if someone comes to you to discuss a problem that they think they have with you, whether you agree or not, what should you do? Sit down and in a non-defensive way, talk to them, visit with them. You might realize, they might realize that they, were, they misunderstood or, or what have you. But sometimes we get defensive or we don't want to talk about it or uh, <clears throat> we, we're proud of the way that we acted, which was wrong. So there's a second step. If he doesn't listen, you should take two, one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is step two. So again, you don't get everybody in on it, but what's the significance of two or three witnesses? Were they witnessing the actual situation? Are they witnesses of God's word and know what's right and are in on the situation and now can share and and, and talk? Uh, In Deuteronomy, in the Torah, two or three witnesses is a very important uh, thing, and it's cross-referenced here in dealing with each other. So Jesus says, a single witness shall, I mean, I'm sorry, this is in the law, so this is the Torah. God says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person of any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, big, small, whatever. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So that's where we're two or more gathered and two or more agree comes from this idea that we, we can't just go around casting judgment on each other. And I thought there wasn't any judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's a little bit different. We do make judgment calls, but we do it in grace and love. And we don't have time to get into that. Like Mark said, we just don't have time for that. I get it. <clears throat> if he refuses to listen to two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to listen to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So tax collectors are people that were not held in high regard. But what do you do with a tax gatherer? What did Jesus do with tax gatherers? He invited them in. He, he shared his truth with them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. With Gentiles, they're the outsiders. He invited them in and shared. So you're supposed to love these people, but not like insiders. It's very different unless they repent and come in, then they can be a part of the kingdom of God as well. So uh, Mark in that lesson did come back and talk a little bit about binding on heaven and earth. Um, And then it ends up, if two of you agree on anything on earth, what I ask it shall be done for them by my heavenly father. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst among them. It's it's only two or three gathered because of this idea of a, a church council or correcting someone. It's not just... God, me, and two or three others that God's in a more, with us in a more special way. This is in a very specific meeting, and God says, I'm right there with you because relationships are so important. 
So we can just go around casting judgment on everyone. Well, Jesus again makes the point in Matthew 7. He says, when you see a speck in your brother's eye, oh, how you want to get it out. You want to go and correct and make them right. Even if it pumps yourself up just a little bit. But you do not even notice the log that's in your own eye. Or how could you say to your brother, here, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's this huge log sticking out of your eye. You hypocrite. First, take out the log of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is a beautiful picture that when we see problems in other people, and and believe me, our nature is we want to go and just give it to them in the name of God, right? But before you do that, what do you have to do? Seeing a problem in somebody else requires you to stop and take a really hard, long look at yourself. Even if you never get to talk to the other person, praise God of the blessing because of what your spirit wanted to do, God redirected you to be inwardly focused and to get right with God on the several things that you probably have issues with. It's not about God saying, I just can't wait for you to go and judge other people and just give them what for. It is to help us to see ourselves in the light of God. Because when we see other people's problems, we're probably a little more sensitive to seeing problems, but ignoring it in ourself. And God says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. You turn around and you look at yourself. It might take you three or four months to get all that worked out before you get to your brother who might have already worked out that problem. But then definitely go to them because we should be in love correcting one another. So it's just a great way to live life in community. I love to ride bikes. So uh, on Sunday night, Sunday afternoon or Monday, I'm usually on my bike listening to Mark Lanier's message from the previous day because rarely do I get to stay in here because of my other responsibilities. I'm running around taking care of other things. I never want to miss a class though. So I love to ride bikes and I can, I can go for an hour and a half, two hours uh, and I listen to several different things. It's a great opportunity. The thing is when I'm riding my bike and I'm doing my thing, I'm usually just kind of cruising along. Every once in a while, some guy on a bike will come and just fly past me. And you know what, you know what I think? I need to be going that fast. Why am I just kind of moseying along? I should be, so he inspires me and I start clicking it up into a lower gear, or I guess it's a higher gear, whatever one's harder. And I can pedal harder and faster and I start catching up with them. And I become a part of that group. So sometimes it's two or three guys and they're just cruising along. And they inspired me to move beyond where I was faster, stronger. And then they'll go off in a different direction and I'll be like, I'm gonna keep on going. But then I hear something and I'm listening and the next thing I know, I find myself settled back in to my old method. We need that inspiration. When we live life in community, we're better able to do exactly what God called us to do and that's why he established the community, the church, the small group, so that we are better able to be inspired by one another. So since COVID, we have not really stressed our fellowship groups in this class. So we're, we're falling down just a little bit and we're ready to ramp those back up. I've asked Smitty to come up and uh, he is our new face of the fellowship groups and our in-reach ministry, our member services ministry here in the biblical literacy class. And as I've been talking about the importance of living in community we're going to practically take that step. And I've asked him to share just about, you know, 60 seconds, maybe 30 or 20 seconds, you know, just, you know, real quick. 
Actually, Brent said for the next two hours, I'm supposed to give you... I'm kidding. I'm Michael Smith. We've been a part of Champion Forest. Now this is our fifth year. August 1st was our fifth anniversary to be here in Houston. We came in with Harvey. But um, one of the things that we needed when we got to Texas was friends. And we immediately jumped into the idea of, hey, let's get into a small group. And what we have learned over the years that we've been in fellowship with the churches is that is that it's hard to do small groups. A lot of times we just randomly generate. So what we are going to do, Brent and I and, and, and several others, and with your help, is we're going to try to reinvent small groups where they work. Some of you guys have a small group that you've been doing life with for 30 years, and they're great. While others, like us, we've been here five years and are just starting to now make friends. So what we want to see happen over the this fall is you're going to get an opportunity to give us your feedback. We're going to give you a survey to tell us what are your interests? What do you see a small group being? And we're going to generate that information and start building and trying to redesign small groups in a way that works for you. So, hey, if you've got a group of people that you do life with and you don't need a small group, cool. If you're a person like us, though, who are dying to have friends to do life with, we're going to help you to try to figure out how we can put together those groups in this little small group of 900 people. So please pray for us as we're working to try to come up with a plan that helps you to be able to have folks to do life with, not just folks to have lunch with once in a while or to um, say, hey, yeah, we're part of that small group. We really want to kind of put people together to start doing life together, encourage each other, and build each other up, as it says to do in Thessalonians 5.11. So God bless you. Please be praying for us. Watch for the survey that's going to come out in a couple of weeks and work with us to help build what we need. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> so what I hope you see is that we're practically living out the gospel and we're trying to do better, uh, doing the best we can. Small groups is a difficult ministry because you want to be with somebody that you want to be with and then you get in a group and you realize, I don't want to be with those people and then they drive you crazy and so then you're like, I want to find a different. It's hard to find a small group, but we're going to work at it <clears throat> I, and I talked to my wife, want to start a small group. The fellowship groups, the purpose is for fellowship. You can make them as spiritual as you want. You're already being spiritual by coming to the class. That's great. Uh, there are some class groups that are more spiritual. They do more, more biblical things. Hopefully everyone is learning what God is telling you to do and then in community living it out. So Holly and I, we want to start a fellowship group along with our new group here. <clears throat> We're looking for uh, 12 people or six couples or however that bears out. And the point of it, <clears throat> I'm going to be able to get through this. The point of it is that this small group, we're going to be talking about what Mark has talked about. We're going to be reading God's word. And then we're going to be actively living it out piece by piece that week and the next week, and then learn something new and then talk about it, come back and talk about it and encourage each other to doing that. Now we're going to do it over meals and go into movies and playing golf and bingo and, and whatever else, but we're going to be living out the Christian life in a small group. So uh, I know I'm a new leader, my wife and I, Holly, and then there's going to be some others of you who want to step up and say, I'd like to lead a group. Uh, we just want to go out to eat all the best foodie restaurants in Houston. There are people in here who want to do that. That's great. And you're probably going to be talking about the things of God. So you need to send me an email 
reply to my life group emails and say, hey, I would love to consider be considered to be a, a, a small group leader, your fellowship group, or I want to be in a group or uh, whatever else you need to tell me, I am interested. <clears throat> so fellowship groups, they are coming back and that is part of an active response to snapshots of Jesus. And we don't have time uh, to finish out with this entry into, but when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, the responsibility is you have to share the witness to be able to get people into the kingdom of God. As a result, then you're able to disciple them. That's the growth part to teach them everything that you know. And then they're going to be teaching you everything that they know. And as a result, the small group grows, the larger group is growing, the larger, larger group is growing, and the kingdom of God is growing. We have to be active in doing this. If you're, if you're not interested, that's fine. We're not going to make anyone get into a small group. We're not going to any, make anyone act like a Christian. But if you are, you should be excited, even with a little fear and trepidation, to get involved more than where you have been. This is your opportunity. And do give us a little grace because it is hard to do small group ministry in a, in a larger group. But with a little bit of grace, God will surprise you what he is putting together. And that's what is amazing to me. And I very much look forward to it as a leader, Champion Forest and the Biblical Literacy Group. Uh, Mark does a lot of things to inspire. We now need to take that next step of action to see where God is calling us. So our points for home, you, you, you are the plan to further the kingdom of God. Are you up to the task? Second thing, fellowship. You need to fellowship for inspiration and for action. And if you're already being inspired by a group, praise God, keep going and take them further. Or you might be time for you to break out and lead a different group, inspire a different group of people. But fellowship and relationship is exactly what the kingdom of God is about. Jesus exemplified it in almost every single snapshot that we have heard taught since January. And the third thing is to share the gospel for more fellowship opportunities. You know what? Michael Smith, he was not a Christian until someone shared the gospel with him. And then through his life and ministry, he found his way to Champion Forest. We became friends. And now he's a brother in Christ that challenges me. We sat in Spring Creek Barbecue, eating barbecue. He didn't buy it that time. He did the last time. Talking about prayer. Imagine that. We had a great time of iron sharpening iron because we both get it. We are needed in each other's life. And we see God's word expressing the exact same thing. So I hope you join us, hope you help us as we do that because we're concluding the snapshots of Jesus. There's still more great things to come from the Old Testament prophets. But please put these pictures on your refrigerator door, in your bathroom, on your car door, maybe your rearview mirror. You know, this is all theoretical, so they're not literally pictures that are there. But things that will remind you how to live in fellowship inside the kingdom of God with the God that created you for that purpose. If you're at home and you've just not made it back to church yet, if you're able, today is your call to get back in fellowship, in physical fellowship with people because this is what you're created to do. And for those of you who cannot and would long to, 
We pray for you. We hope to come visit you. I try to make homebound visits a lot in my ministry as a legacy adult pastor at Champion Forest. We, and we have fellow, uh, servants of grace that are doing the same thing, but we can't always get to everyone. So do me a favor. Send me an email. Give me a call. Let me know that you're out there and that you would love some encouragement and fellowship, even though you can't leave your house for all the reasons. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've been inspired by our Heavenly Father. And may we, as the church of God, spread his word in ways that we couldn't imagine because we've only been relying on our own power and not the power of God who says that he will inspire you and empower you to get what what he wants done, not what you want done. So let's make our prayers about what God wants, not what we want. And let's make our activity about what God wants and not what we want. Sometimes you can sit down and watch that TV show. It's okay. But if you're doing that all day, all the time, in all your spare time, you're probably missing out. Let's move forward. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have this opportunity to, well, to encourage one another to love and to good deeds. We do it in your name and by your power because we have seen your snapshots. And thank you for Mark Lanier to share these with us. And I pray that as your modeling has inspired us, that we would inspire others. Like Paul said, follow me because I am following Jesus Christ. God help us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.